Good morning. Shane, you're going to appreciate this psalm because you started us off in the back room with it by God's providence. This morning, I want to talk about comparisons. As a process engineer, my job is to compare systems where they are now to where they could be. Sometimes to do this, I have to look at an existing system and use it as a benchmark to measure another system. A benchmark is something that serves as a standard by which others may be measured or judged or it is a point of reference from which measurements can be made. It is very important that whatever is being used as a benchmark, there is proper understanding of the benchmark itself. We always want to examine ourselves to see if we are still on the narrow path of righteousness and obedience and love for Christ, or if we have strayed from the Lord. Usually to do so, we will find someone or something to measure ourselves by. But... There are wrong ways to measure ourselves. So this morning, I want us to look at a Bible example of when a benchmark was improperly understood, the effects of this, and what we can learn from it. Please turn with me to Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compassed them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none on earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Amen. 
So to start this psalm, the cause of Asaph's trouble in the first half is very simple. He was not using the benchmark he had chosen properly. He was choosing to measure himself by the ungodly and his observations about them. This is not necessarily wrong because we want to keep ourselves unspotted by the world and rid ourselves of any sinful behavior the ungodly around us partake in. We also do not want to be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage over us. However, Asaph's mistake, a mistake I've fallen into and I'm sure we all have fallen into at some point, was that he was benchmarking his success as a Christian by the comfort, or rather discomfort, he was experiencing compared to the comfort the ungodly were enjoying, though they were full of wickedness. Look at the state this brought him to in verses 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He had almost allowed himself to be destroyed because his misunderstanding of the increase of the ungodly had cast him down. He was envious of their apparent comfort, desiring to experience that same comfort. And look at his discouragement in verses 13 and 16, 13 through 16. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened all every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He was so discouraged, he was ready to give up and quit. Can you hear it in his voice? It was like everything he tried to do caused him pain and afflicted him in anything he said would offend those around him. It is as if he was at the point of, why bother living the godly, holy life? It only brings me pain, chastening, sorrow, and everything I do offends everyone. But this is a fiery dart from Satan. Learn to recognize it, hate it, and lift your shield of faith to quench it. The improper application of a benchmark distorted his worldview and robbed him of joy and hope he could have been experiencing the whole time. Joy and hope that he would eventually be reminded of by God's mercy. He made carnal increase his measuring device and the ungodly as his case study to compare instead of having faith in God. How many times have you said those same words uh, that Asaph said to yourself? How many times have you felt your efforts to live righteously were in vain because you were not as successful or comfortable as the ungodly around you? I'll admit I have many times. Whether it be at work observing ungodly coworkers getting promoted, at school observing ungodly classmates excel academically, or ungodly celebrities, celebrated and exalted, making millions, all seemingly without punishment for their wicked ways, all of us have been in Asaph's position. Viewing the wicked around us prosper can be discouraging. When we forget about God and the proper understanding he has shown us about what true success is and what really matters in this life. But thankfully, the psalm does not end at verse 16. Some reasons why it's important for us to gather together each Lord's Day are listed here to be reminded about who our God is, what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, where our hope lies, and how we are to live in light of it. In the specific context, Asaph's reminder was understanding the end of the ungodly. And God forbid that we should ever seek carnal prosperity or comfort and make that our measure of our success as Christians. We don't use it as our benchmark for being a successful Christian. We use faith in God his commandments, and his judgments to be our guide. As Asaph is reminded of in the last half of the psalm, we don't want, to, we don't want the increase in godly experience. We don't want the comfort that they experience because it is a slippery place the Lord is setting them in to cast them down harder and farther for his glory. Why would we ever desire or be envious of such a state? 
surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cassedest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And in verse 20, For lo, they are far from thee. They that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. That doesn't sound like a very comfortable state that we want to find ourselves in. So, where do we start if we have made the same mistake Asaph did? First, we repent like he did. We remember the end of the ungodly with eyes of faith and remember how God deals with them. We repent in godly sorrow for our foolishly looking at the ungodly with envy for their creature comforts instead of vehemently hating their rebellion against our God. Then we remember what God has done for us and how God deals with us, his children, and believe it by faith for ourselves. And this this psalm ends with a sweet note. Psalm 73, verse 26. Psalm 73, verses 23 through 26, rather. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none on earth I desire, I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Right. We have it better than Asaph because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us yes. at all times. Right. Has he not dealt with us bountifully? Has he not set us in a large place? Yeah. Has he not broken us free from the cords of sin that once bound us so tightly in the strong man's palace? Has he not gently led us by the hand through the valley of the shadow of death beside still waters into green pastures? And as we led last night in the preparatory, has he not given us all things pertaining unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, through the counsel of his inspired word? Who or what do you desire upon earth? The comforts of the ungodly or Jesus Christ himself? Who else do you have to help you from heaven but God himself? Well, we also have the king and high priest of our religion, Jesus Christ the righteous, who knows, feels, and understands our infirmities better than anyone on earth ever could. And guess what? He is continually on God's right hand, interceding on your behalf for your good. How about that for help from heaven? When your flesh and heart are failing, when you're discouraged, do you immediately run to him? If not, why not? If we wait until we're better, we think we can give him something in our pride. He wants us to come to him immediately and humbly cast our burdens of sin, guilt, and inability in ourselves at his feet. He came for the weak, base, foolish nothings of this world, not those who think they are whole. The only way we will believe any of this, though, is by faith. He has said it. Is it enough for us? So, what is the benchmark of a successful Christian? Asaph says in verse 28, It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. How closely are you walking with the Lord right now? How closely am I walking with him right now? Are we drawing near to him? As we have recently heard in John 14, are we keeping his commandments regardless of of the apparent carnal increase of the ungodly around us? If you are, get ready for God the Father and Jesus Christ to help you get even closer to him by him coming to make his abode with you. Do you believe this by faith? It will be uncomfortable to our flesh because it is against our flesh, especially if we have gone so long living with the distorted worldview like Asaph. If this is the case, let this discomfort be an encouragement 
to you that you are on the right path and ask the Lord to give you strength in your heart to continue pressing on when it begins to fail. If you're already doing the first two, how much fruit are you bearing? As we were taught last Sunday and reminded of last night, we cannot bear fruit without depending on Jesus Christ, our one true vine. Fruit is a far better measuring system than carnal comfort or prosperity. It is the measurement for false teachers and true disciples. If you need a list, I have two for you. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 gives us the list of faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And it says that for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll give you one more list. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. If we bear much fruit, we show our love of Jesus Christ, glorify our Father, edify souls to know and love Jesus Christ better, and show that we are his disciples indeed, all of which brings God our Father and Jesus Christ our Savior the greatest glory. And as an added bonus, we will experience true joy, peace, comfort, and rest in this life only he can give that transcends our circumstances not the flippant peace that the world gives. So in conclusion, here's my challenge to all of us. Who is going to set the benchmark for fruit bearing in this church? The Lord be praised. Amen.